Hey, welcome back to the podcast, and it's episode 68. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Pastor Tim Wessel, and he's an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. He is also a life coach, and so we talk about what he's been doing these last three years or so in ministry. He's kind of had a shift in ministry, and I've known Tim for about, I don't know, 15 years, I guess. Um met him when he came to speak. I talked a little bit about that in the episode. He came and told his story at the church where I was serving previously. So his story is just thoroughly transforming. It will bless your soul. Um, So we talk about celebrate recovery in this episode, teen challenge a little bit, and then life coaching. And there's a great line in there where he says, coaching helps us to get from good to great. So I think you're going to enjoy this and please share it with a friend. The other, because we're on Apple, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify now. And the other thing uh, I want to mention is I'm taking nominations for the podcast. So if you know someone who would make a great guest on the podcast, shoot me a DM uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. You can email. I'll put my email in the show notes. And so you can send me an email that way. But just tell me what their name is, something about their ministry, like a highlight, why you think they'd be good for the podcast, and then how you know them. And then obviously a way that we can connect up. And I am looking for ordained women. Uh, I, I have had ordained men, obviously, on the podcast as well. So there's usually some kind of a unique twist of why I have them on the podcast. Um, And you'll hear a little bit why I had Tim on when you hear this episode. But anyway, I would love to hear. I have some emails out there of some guests that I'm really excited about and trying to get them scheduled for the podcast. But I'm taking nominations because I'm scheduling podcast uh, interviews already for April and May. So Shoot me a message, share the podcast, enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? Good to see you. Good to see you too. You look good. Are all How your you kids uh, hanging in there? Yeah. It's been, it's been 10 years. Can you believe wow. it? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. I was thinking about this this morning. I was When I was journaling, I thought the first time I met you, you came. Uh, I was on staff at Detroit first, now Hilltop. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we were doing that Sunday night series. This is your story, or this is my story. Right. Which from the hymn Blessed Assurance, which is also what the podcast is named after. Oh, cool. But, yeah. But you shared yours, you shared your story. And you know, afterwards you just took 10 minutes to listen and encourage me. And I think you were one of the first people to encourage me to consider planning a church. And cool. I, I you know, I just never said thank you. So wow. thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. That was awesome. That's how it happens, right? You know, I had uh, I had a uh, oh who was it? Ray Charles had a daughter who had a drug problem, came to Christ. She was a, she was a minister. She traveled, she came to our celebrate recovery 
and she spoke. I mean, she was a powerhouse, you know, full of energy and she stormed around just this energy of excitement. And, you know, we had a lot of people come. But what impressed me the most was when she was done, she literally met every single person in that room and, and she took time to look them in the eyes, to pray with each person. And I just remember, you know, because you get a lot of guest speakers come in moments like that. And, yeah. you know, her attentiveness to every single human being that was there and to give them such a blessing. I thought that was cool. And I'm like, I want to be like that. You know, I get a chance to go places. I want to take the time to look into the eyes of people and really see them and hear them. And, you know, if you don't, you miss out on the whole experience, I think, you know. You do. And and you came and shared your story at at my congregation, you know, mm-hmm. where I planted mm-hmm. Uh, Cause we were doing, we actually did the, we did the celebrate recovery, like sermon series, you yeah, know? Yeah. 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 So uh, what's the eight, it's been so long since I've done yeah, the eight principles, the eight, eight principles. principles. Yeah. So yeah. we did the eight mm-hmm. principles and, and we had it, it interspersed with some people sharing their story and you can you were one of the people that came and we have some friends who run celebrate recovery out in Royal Oak. And so they came mm-hmm. and, cool. um, and that's exactly what you did afterwards. You're like, uh, you just really like the time with with people in my congregation that are hurting. We have a lot of people who, um, you know, came back to church after really being wounded and hurt. And it was. So what are you doing now? Yeah. So for the last three years, about three and a half, my wife reminded me, I've been doing coaching. Um, I call it coaching, obviously, as a pastor. Uh, 12 years at the NAS, did a lot of counseling ministry. I did celebrate recovery. We had hundreds and hundreds of people I engaged with, was out in the community doing it on all sorts of levels. Uh, but now I do it all day, every day um, for, for anybody who calls. And so the nice thing is, is that uh, I get to lead people to Christ. I get to disciple people deeper in their faith with Christ. I get to meet them right where they're at. This morning, I had a young lady that had attempted suicide, a young teenage girl, came in, uh, told me she was bisexual, worried about going to hell. Like I get to do that and have those conversations every day and look into people's eyes and love them and, and really appreciate who they are and the journey they've been on and try to help them navigate, you know, spiritual matters and sometimes life and death matters, uh, drug and alcohol addiction, depression, a lot mm-hmm. of things that people carry every day and don't know where to go. And yeah. uh, my story qualifies me. You know, because people realize I'm not just reading it out of a book, not that that's bad, not that that can't help you, but there's something about trust that's important if somebody's going to speak into your life to feel like they understand and get it. And, you know, yeah, that's huge when you've walked a walked a journey, a similar journey and everybody's journey is different, but mm-hmm. you have an understanding of where you've been, where now and now where God has brought you and the healing and you'd be a great coach. And I mean, you really did foster that sense of a faith community right there in the midst of celebrate recovery that you know you like you actually birthed that right i mean that was didn't you were you on the launching team of that whole thing um just at the nas brighton there so i yeah. um yeah i had found it when i was a cpa I, I wasn't even in ministry yet and i bought the the leader package had it sitting in my living room and then you know of course pastor ben's like let's do it let's do it let's do it and so i i dug into it after i came on staff as a youth pastor and realized I was kind of in trouble as a pastor if I didn't stay attentive to my real needs as a pastor, Mm -hmm. you know, my own brokenness and my own struggles. And so felt vulnerable in the church because the church isn't always the most open, vulnerable place. And so really was a birth out of my need to stay in close knit, honest, open, vulnerable community. 
right. but also recognizing in the church there were a lot of other folks that had that. So um, yeah, I started it there. We've launched several all over the state, all over the country. Um, you know, I still do that as a coaching um, part of my coaching package. I come in and create celebrate recoveries and hire oh, the people great. and put everybody in the right place and try to help them get it off the ground into a reasonable place. That's fabulous. I, I didn't realize that part. That well, that is huge. I mean, really, don't we all need recovery, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah, <clears throat> we're all recovering from this this thing called original sin. Yeah, right. uh, and you know, it's not it's not going away anytime soon. Um, but the Holy Spirit can definitely help us walk in faithfulness. Um, yeah, you were a CPA, and then you got a call and I know that's its own story, but would you be willing to start even way before that of when God got a hold of you? Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to do the quick version. Um, you know, I was, I was born to a, a mother who was extremely abused and, and neglected in her home. She ended up bouncing from home to home to home to uh, find a place to live. She found a home, a good Christian woman took her in. She started to really establish her life and find herself. And then while she was in this safe home, uh, one of the oldest sons came home from college under the influence, made his way to her room and sexually assaulted her. Uh, The family did what a lot of families do and said, get out of our house. You know, you're ruining our life. So she was kicked out. She ended up in a homeless shelter. And then she ended up obviously realizing she was pregnant with me. Um, Her goal was to raise me and love me and create a life with me because she was all alone. She had no family, no contact with her family at the time. So in her mind, you know, I'm going to love this little baby and we'll live happily ever after. But she was very sick and very broken and very overwhelmed to be alone on the streets with a baby and nowhere to live. And so it got pretty dark pretty fast of her abusing me the way she was abused, you know, telling me that I ruined her life and that I made her sick to look at and encouraging me. And she was very suicidal in and out of mental health facilities and encouraging me, maybe I should kill myself. So we had this toxic, broken relationship. And uh, it it just got worse and worse and worse. But while she was abusing me in the home, outside the home, I was being sexually abused. Started when I was a very young boy um, through the age of six. They found out at the age of six. Um, I felt more shame and guilt and, you know, it must be my fault. And we moved away from that area. Uh, More abusers found me. My mother continued to abuse me. I got more and more in my own head that I was just this hated, worthless piece of crap that came from rape that never should have been born. And nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. All I do is hurt people. And all I do is get hurt by people. So it was pretty toxic. Uh, We moved again uh, when I was 12. And we moved to a trailer park, got away from my abusers. Uh, Hormones kicked in. I became a very angry, violent, nobody will ever hurt me again. I'm bigger and stronger and crazier than anybody. So I started to act out in that persona. I also found drugs and alcohol and began to abuse myself. With drugs and alcohol. Uh, we were poor, so crime came, you know, I had to pay for all the drugs and alcohol. So I started doing a lot of things to pay for my drugs and alcohol. And I got sicker and sicker and sicker until, you know, my my first magic bullet, if you will, to save me. I had been in and out of rehabs, in and out of mental health, counselors, you know, nobody could fix me. I wouldn't tell a soul that I had been raped. So um, I had all these secrets I wasn't going to let out and then met a girl who I fell in love with and moved in with. She had a broken home. She had her own issues. We thought, you know, two crazy people get together, we'll help each other and it'll it'll be the perfect relationship. 
and I was with her for about two years, was engaged to her, and then found her in an unfaithful in a relationship. She cheated on me, and I just lost my mind. I had been trying to get sober. I'd been trying to get my life back together. I'd been trying to finish high school. You know, I was going to make it because I, I mattered to somebody. And then in that moment, um, everything that I thought was true became very true. You'll never be loved. You are worthless. Nobody can love you. You're not worth it. You don't deserve it. And this is your reality. And so I lost my mind that night. It was the most violent night of my life. Uh, police were called. Uh, I crashed a car, hurt some friends, left them in a ditch. I, I got back to my mother's home after the police were done with me and then tore the phones out of the wall and proceeded to attack everybody and try to hurt them and tell them how badly they had hurt me. And the end of that night was my um, was going to be my final suicide attempt. It was my final suicide attempt, I guess I should say. And, uh, you know, I, I had this wrestling match with God, didn't grow up with faith, but always was afraid. I mean, I'd lay on the train tracks, the train would come and I'd get off because I thought, I don't know about heaven and hell. I'm afraid, you know, I'm afraid that I might go to hell. I don't know why I thought that I, I still don't know. I think the Holy Spirit was finding a way to keep me alive. But that particular night, I talked to God. And I said, if you're there, um, I'm thinking about heaven and hell. And if there's a heaven, I don't want to be in heaven because you're cruel and you're evil and you're ugly. And my mother was raped and I was raped. And what kind of God are you? And so I had this, you know, accusatory conversation with God. And then, of course, he didn't answer. So I thought, yeah, that's what I thought you'd say. That's what you've said every other time. And I just proceeded to make my plans to end my life. I had to wait till morning for the store to open to get ammunition I had guns, I had them in my car and all I had to do was get to my spot. And I got up in the morning, got to the door, was walking out the door. This is a Tuesday morning at nine o'clock and there was a man coming up the steps and kind of met me at the door. And he said some obnoxious thing like, hey, good morning, hey, how you doing? Hey, I was just having a coffee and I wanted to come knock on some doors and tell people God loves them and invite them to my church. And I remember just going, are you freaking kidding me? Like why are you here? And my next conversation with him was, how dare you say God loves me? You know, and I said to him, the most disgusting, vile things I've ever said to a human being in my life, because I was angry at God. And I wanted him to hear, like, tell me God loves me. What about this, 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 and this? And I said things that I thought would just send him running. Of course, he didn't run. You know, he's a pastor. I, I get it now. You know, he, he sat there now very upset and trying to reach me and talk to me. But despite what he was doing, the Holy Spirit was doing something because I had this little moment of, I hate you. Don't tell me God loves me. I don't believe that. And then the second thought was like, why is there a pastor here? And does God know? Does he care? Does he see me? Did he see me crying in my basement all night long deciding this? Did he hear me when I said, you suck, you know, um, part of my language, but you know, did all that, what does this mean? Does this mean anything? And, you know, I, I say it all the time. I got my mustard seed. I had just an inkling of maybe there's a God and maybe he's here. And I, I can't just walk past this. So I invited this pastor in and amazingly, he was able to lead me through the word and explain sin and explain what had happened to me and why and what God's plan was versus what did happen and how God had a plan to redeem and restore what, what had happened to me. And it was too good to be true, right? You know, it's like, don't tell me I can just pray 
and be forgiven. I'm, you know, now I'm the bad guy. I, I went from being hurt and everybody else is the bad guy, but I'm the bad guy. I've hurt people. I've stolen. I've done drugs. I've, I'm, I'm violent. I'm evil. Like God couldn't love this person. If there's a God now he hates me, you know? And, and it was also simple that if I would trust Jesus and, and pray with him, that I could be washed as white as snow and forgiven and given a new life. And, um, and I did that. Uh, of course, that was then he, you know, finishes his little pastoral duty and he gets up to leave and I freak out because I'm a drug addict, alcoholic, and I have no plan for the day. And I have a little note on the table for a mental hospital. So I was like, you can't leave me like I need to figure something else out. I'm in trouble. So I went to Teen Challenge, uh, which is a Christ centered recovery program. It's a year long program. And I spent every day in the word of God and worship and hearing testimonies and and God transformed my life there. And so that's where it all started. That's when I turned the corner toward Jesus. Yeah. Teen Challenge is amazing. It's amazing. I have uh, another friend of mine who, matter of fact, she's the one that runs her and her husband are part of Celebrate Recovery out in Royal Oak. And Teen Challenge is what saved her life. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, God literally saved her life, but you know what I mean? Uh, He used Teen Challenge as that instrument. And I just love your heart, your your heart for God and and your heart for people. Um, I mean, you do have a... a crazy um, and also powerful story, but you know, part of what makes it so powerful too is your your heart and your passion for God. And you were you did not immediately have a call to ministry, though. I mean, you went through the teen challenge and you found restoration and healing, mm-hmm. and you went into the route of I, I don't want to say secular business because it, once you give your life to Christ, everything is holy, right? You know, everything that we do is, is we, we work at, we work, uh, as everything is working unto the Lord. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but you did have quite this, you went from being in and out because you went to jail a couple of times, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To end up being a CPA. So how did that even happen? Yeah. So I got home. I lived in my car when I got home. People were afraid of me. I had no open doors. So I lived behind a church in a dirt parking lot and I used my car to stay warm. During the day, I went in and worked with the church secretary and the church janitor and just prayed with the youth pastor, you know, hung out with these church folks and and started my life over. But I went back to school, got my GED. I uh, started working at at a horse farm, was kind of get my life together. God was giving me these amazing people that affirmed me and loved me and valued me. So I was starting to love myself. And then um, I had this moment of being broken over my sin, you know, like uh, believing I was forgiven, but feeling like it was too easy. I had, I had offended all these people and then I just pray a prayer and go on with my life. So I was really wrestling with like, that doesn't seem fair to them that I could do that. And about that time, the police entered my life, questioning me on some crimes. And I was stuck with this moment of, okay, they're asking me if I know about these crimes. I do. I did these crimes. They don't know I did it. They think it's somebody else, but I'm now a man of God, a man of truth. So I ended up confessing to everything I could possibly think of. So I'm like, yeah, I did that. And by the way, I did this and I did this, get your pen out, you know, and they ended up taking me to state police station and videotaping all these confessions. And I ended up with a whole litany of felonies I was facing. And I believed at that time, my ministry was going to be prison ministry. I thought, okay, God, I trust you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with you. And if you want me to go to prison ministry, I was excited. I sold everything I owned because all indications where I was going to prison 
And then the judge was just kind of astounded that I was so truthful and honest and forthright. And he says, like, I can't put you in prison. Like, you know, nobody does this. So he gave me one felony, uh, five years probation. I started my life and then went to college, straight A student, you know, it was a 3.97 GPA, about to graduate, but I got a felony on my record. So I was kind of stuck, you know, all these big accounting firms were trying to romance me with steak dinners and come work at our firm. And and I was I couldn't fill out an application. So I was getting discouraged, you know, to be honest, I was ready to give up again. Like, oh my gosh, my life, you know, I, I went through that in my early years of just, oh, it's never going to change. And I'd go back and forth with some of those old thought patterns. And, um, and then I ran into a judge and his wife when I was selling invisible fencing while I was going to college. And he, uh, I told them my story. They were Christ followers. He invited me to come into his court and he expunged my record and my entire criminal record was expunged. And two weeks after that, one of my professors recommended me for an accounting firm in Detroit. And I started public accounting as a career. The only reason I did that, I was in community college and a, past, uh, a teacher said, he said, if you have accounting and computers, you'll never look for a job in your life. And I just thought, I just want, I just want security. So I'll do that job if I'm going to have a job. And it was a great job market. I made a lot of money, but it was also a sit with paperwork all day long. I know you're an introvert. I'm not an introvert. So, I mean, it was torture to to work 16 hour days with paperwork and not talk to human beings. So I was kind of the pastor at the firm. You know, I, I ended up being in a role where I would find anybody who's even been to church in their life. And I'm sorry, whether you like it or not, you're now my Christian friend. And I'm going to sit in your office and give you testimonies and talk about Jesus. And you're just going to listen because that's that's what I did. So I did that for 12 years. And then, yeah, Pastor Ben approached me kind of out of the blue. I was working with the youth, the skate park, volunteering on the weekends, you know, working a million hours, but volunteering a lot at the church. I was helping a lot of families with addictions and brokenness, just, you know, my natural leaning. And then he invited me to come on staff full time. And God knew that I wasn't brave enough to do that. So he gave me some powerful confirmations through friends. Um, One friend that's not a believer that a hunting friend I have who dreamt he was at church and I was the pastor and in the middle of me praying quietly and alone about whether to do this or not, I end up in a conversation with him and he tells me he's had two dreams that I was a pastor. And, and the last person was a teen challenge guy, a graduate from teen challenge. I hadn't seen in years that literally called me from Muskegon, Michigan and says, I have no idea why I'm calling you right now, but I felt impressed to tell you that if you ever get a call to ministry and I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm literally in the process of praying about whether to go into ministry. And so uh, my joke is that if I didn't do it, I think I would have been swallowed by a fish and spit on the front yard of Bright Nazarene church. And Probably. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, yeah, I left and went into ministry and, and just began my ministry life there, you know, full-time vocational ministry at the NAS. And I got mm. to be in the interview when you interviewed for your ordination yeah, that was pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, that was, was cool. It was a blessing to me because I felt insecure. You know, I I go in there. The first thing that happens is Dr. Anthony says, oh, who's this Tim Wessel guy? You know, and he's looking around and I'm like, oh, that's me. And he says, it says you're a felon. What's this all about? And, you know, it was like, oh, everyone talked. So I saw them in the corner talking and I said, yeah, I said, I'm a felon. I said, it's expunged, but I, I just want to be honest. I don't want anyone to think I'm hiding anything. And it was this big to do about that when I first got there. So I was kind of scared. I'd heard all these stories about how brutal you guys were on people and <laughs> how hard it was. But I honestly like that, that day was so powerful for me because 
there was so much love. I felt like we were worshiping God together. We all had, you know, hearts that were aligned. And I thought, oh my goodness, I love these people. And, you know, a, a few people from that room that were pastors um, called me and I ministered to their families, you know, and they asked me, you know, this brand new baby guy that didn't feel like he was good enough to be there. You know, I got to serve their families in some pretty powerful ways and things they were going through that they couldn't necessarily go to their church with, you know. And so, yeah, that was I'll never forget that day. And I felt that way every year. It was fun to see everyone. And, you know, I'm a talker. So I would say, I'm not going to let them ask me questions about holiness. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep telling them about what God's doing in my life and try to control this conversation. So well, I might have cheated a little bit, but maybe. it worked, worked for me. I know it's been about three and a half years that, it, well, and probably like more than that, that you started sensing that God was calling you to make some kind of a transition. Um, so I guess, what were you hoping for when you stepped out on faith to do this coaching program? Like we have our vision, right? Of what we think it's going to be. And then three and a half years down the road, it's whatever God made it, made it to be. And uh, same is true for, you know, planning my church. Right. Uh, right. I, I had this vision that God gave me. And then 10 years later, I'm like, it, it sort of looks like that, but God did what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so just talk about how was that? How did you do that transition? Like, what was God saying to you? What was that initial vision? And then how has that kind of morphed? I'd, I'd like to clean it up and make it pretty for you, but I'm not going to. Um, so we left. Um, we were unsettled. I mean, when we did the uh, the assessment weekend, Pastor Crowder from uh, Chelsea, Nazarene, you know, he's like, he was very, very affirming. And he was like, oh, my goodness. He goes, you are not supposed to be an associate pastor. Like, your calling's bigger in, you know. I love Pastor Ben, but you should. And I'm like, stop saying that. I don't want to go. Leave me alone. I love what I do, and I want to do that. Um, and then some things just started happening. You know how you can just get uncomfortable in your own skin and in in the church and the passion direction of the church. So I was having that. It it was it was the most awful season of my life, to be honest, because I loved my church. I loved my church family. We had been there 18 years, and when we left, it was a quiet leaving. We didn't have a plan. We didn't. We we had to leave, and there was a lot of details behind that. But we went out and go, okay, God, we don't know what exactly, but we'll go for what's next. And my next step was with somebody I knew from the church who promised me this glorious salary and all this stuff and was going to let me do coaching at the same time. But it was kind of an exploitive. Um, I had 5,000 people on my contact list and I had a reputation in the community. And so it got really, really bad and we lost everything financially. So that's how it started. Um, but in the middle of that, you know, I realized, okay, I was trying to do secular and ministry and it didn't work. I'm not aligned for money. I don't work for money. And so he would treat me as if I was the stupidest person on earth because I, I didn't want money. I wanted to help people. And so it was, God used it to shape me that like, just help people, you know? And at first as a coach, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help people the same way I did as a pastor. Uh, but I now need to get paid for it. And I felt guilt like, no, 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 don't pay me. I, you know, so I'd come home after, you know, hours and hours and hours of meeting with people and Hey honey, I had an awesome day. I helped all these people. And, oh no, I didn't make any money, you know, but it was cool. And so it started a little like that. Uh, then, you know, I had clients that, that absolutely believed what I was doing for them was so powerful and life-changing and they had gone to counselors and psychologists and, psychiatrists and and pastors their whole life and never found the tools that I gave them. And so I started getting affirmation that way. 
that, you know, hey, I truly am adding value to people's lives that, that, that really matters. It started slow. Um, mainly, I was afraid to charge, you know, I'm like, I don't know, can you give me $20 for the two hours I just spent with you, you know, and, uh, you know, I started meeting other coaches, I started perfecting my craft, learning how to put it all together. Um, there's a movie about my life, you know, that's on Amazon Prime. So somewhere in the last two years, that just exploded. And now I get calls all over the world. And I coach people all over the world that see that connect to that they feel, you know, some sort of something about me that fits their story. And then they reach out and say, please, will you help me get to where you're get? You know, I've been sexually abused or I've been bound by alcohol and drugs, or I was told I was no good my whole life. And I need somebody like you to show me how to, how to transition out of this. So I, I'm very, very blessed that I get to do that. And it's been really exciting. I am now overwhelmed. I have so, so many clients. It's unbelievable. Um, almost too many at times. <clears throat> I also just, right. just, uh, was handed a $110,000 um, federal grant to help addicts and alcoholics because I do work a lot with drug addicts and alcoholics and their families. And uh, a retired social worker applied for a grant and said, Pastor Tim, will you please spend this money on helping addicts and alcoholics? And so I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll do that. Um, so, so yeah, just really neat. So it's kind of now snowballed three years in, my schedule's full. I'm helping a lot of people. My wife is transitioning from a full-time job into coaching for families. And uh, we do family mission statements, family meetings. We have this whole family dynamic thing that we've done in our own family that we share with other families and help them uh, get healthy, become healthy. Uh, best case scenario, we get them when they're a young family and we teach them how to start and finish healthy, you know? Right. Um, I, lo- I love Gina. She's awesome. <laughs> I think so too, uh, right? Yeah, I'm glad you think so. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have a great family. Uh, okay, so what's the name of the movie? Uh, the movie's just called Tim. So it's on Amazon Prime. It's just a documentary called Tim. It's 27 minutes long. And there's another one that's that's made by the same producer, Penny Carlisi at our church. And it's called Redeemed by Grace. Redeemed by Grace shares my story, Lisa Pelcher's story, Um uh, Crystal Gibbons, uh, Pastor Ben's daughter's story, and Don Dodds and other gentlemen in our church. So there's four little mini stories of people who God restored and redeemed their life. So both of those are on Amazon Prime. Oh, well, I didn't realize you got you got to put on Amazon Prime. So I've seen those, uh, mm-hmm. and they are fabulous. They're very well done. Because uh, you had a somebody in your congregation that worked with on movie sets or something, right? Yeah, we did. Well, Penny Carlisi, you know, was just going to film school. So she made the documentary films, you know, in her journey in that she did a couple full feature movies, but you know, low budget, but but really cool. Uh, But we did have a guy. Yeah, I met a guy that was filming here in Michigan, who got my video on set filming a movie at a local high school. And he came to see me and he actually ended up in my life for several years. And they filmed a celebrate recovery commercial with like full feature Hollywood cameras and lights and um, equipment, you know, it was probably a $45,000 commercial and they did it for free because we had helped some of their family members and helped them. So you've got a great network, Tim. <laughs> oh, anyway, I'm going to find the link for that movie okay. and I'll make yep. sure it goes in the show notes okay. and your, your coaching business is called, is it thrive coaching? Yes. Yeah. And the, the film is on my website as well. So it's thrivecoaching.net. You know, I, well, I started, I started coaching. I found a coach. Uh-huh, <laughs> I don't mean, good. I started coaching other people. Right, right. I mean, I do, I do mentoring, but I found a coach um, maybe a year and a half ago and out of a 
similar kind of situation. Like our congregation just kind of hit a wall Mm -hmm. and I was trying to discern some things of, all right, is, is God getting me ready to leave? Or is this a, a skill set thing that I need to work on or, or whatever. And so I've, I've been doing this coaching now for about a year and a half. And I had no idea. It was like one of those things where I'm like, look, I got to try something before I just walk away. Right. 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 But like within the first couple of times that we met, I couldn't believe the, the advantage to coaching. Like I, okay. I knew in my head that coaching was important, but then I, understood how important it was and and the things, the benefits of it and what I started getting out of it. And I, so I think that there's a lot of people, whether they're pastors or lay people or not even necessarily believers who they don't really understand the value of coaching. Like coaching is for someone who's, you know, they work for a fortune 500 company and they want to up their game kind of a thing. So we just talk a little bit about the value and some of the things that people can expect and anticipate that will really help them, whether it's in their vocation, their profession, their personal life. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because, you know, I, I had a gentleman come to see me and he's like, he's like, I like you because you are a pastor. So you can answer some of my spiritual questions. You're a counselor, so you can help me with my head game with some of my past. And you're a coach, so you can help me kind of design my future and all that. Uh, but I, I one day sat down with somebody that came to my office to try to diagram the difference in coaching and counseling and, and what I do versus what other, you know, professions do. And, and I drew this diagram that we're working on right now just to get on the website to help. Um, but we kind of took over in the lower left quadrant, we had uh, counseling. You know, you meet people in counseling with dysfunction and brokenness. You know, they're they're hurting, they're addicted, they're, they're there's mindset stuff, and they're just depressed every day, whatever that might be, and all the d- disorders and brokenness. That's where counseling kind of meets you. And in my life, that's where I started the journey. That's also where I met Christ. So I drew the little you know trajectory of of growth, and and I wrote on that line sanctification. Um, so. You know, God meets us in our mess and all our brokenness and, and usually at our lowest point, but then he begins this process of sanctification. Um, what I found in my life is my pastors, my counselors, everybody kind of left me at this midway point that I call coddling. Um, you know, they, they were like, oh, poor you, poor you, poor you, poor you. You know, well, you're doing pretty good. You know, you're only on 15 meds now or, you know, nobody really believed for me that I had the, the, the right to be completely whole and, and absolutely transformed and have a beautiful family and a beautiful life. And it hurts when you're sitting there going, I, why don't you believe this for me? Like, I'm trying to believe it and I need you to believe it to tell me. So there's that coddling line that it's real important. But the other side of that coddling line is coaching. Coaching is forward thinking. It is it is solution-based. It's, it's progressive. To me, it's taking someone from, you know, that good enough line of I'm doing pretty good in life. You know, counseling is from bad to good. Coaching is from good to great. And, and it's painting the picture of all the fullness of God and what he's designed us to be. And if we walked in complete truth and understanding of God and, and who we were to him, who would we be and, and what would our life look like? And so it's kind of painting that picture for everybody that this is God's plan for you. And yes, this stuff happened and that's from sin and the fallen nature and the sin nature, but God is never going to stop sanctifying and growing you. So it's really fun to, 
you know, do assessments, find out who you are and why you tick and even how some of that ugly stuff formed you and shaped you into who you are. And, and then just build that vision of what you can be and what you should be and, and believe with your whole heart, like more than they do. Oh no, you're, you're nowhere near where God's taking you. And, and that to me is so exciting to do and watch people who think, well, wait, I'm way down here in this. I'm just a messy drug addict. And, and I'm seeing this glorified, transformed, changed person who's changing lives and helping them put those put the plan in place to get there. Oh, I love that line that coaching helps you move from good to great. One of we had our Ash Wednesday service to kick off Lent this week, and and one of the things I said in the message was, "We've gotten so good at being good that we don't need God." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of us, the goal is to just. I mean, we love the Lord. We have a, a relationship with him, but our goal is to just be a good person. But God wants us to be so transformed that we begin to transform the people, the systems around the people and the systems around us. Yeah. Um, and so, and we're not going to do that if we're just, you know, maintaining that baseline of good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, we have to, you know, what does, what does Jesus say in Matthew five, right? Your, your holiness should exceed the Pharisees. Right. They were maintaining the status quo mm-hmm. and Jesus, like, if you're going to follow me, I, w- I want you to break through um, these strongholds, the systems that keep people down, uh, mm-hmm. the strongholds in our individual lives and, and in our, our family systems and our community systems um, that keep us good, like just right. good enough, right? yeah. but not move us up to that next level. Yeah, that's a big deal. I just uh, I just purchased a domain name for a podcast that I considered starting. I haven't started it, and I'm wondering, do I want to do it? Because I'll step on some toes, and what's the purpose of it? But um, the the domain name is the Plank Eyed Saint, and and the reason I chose that is because I am I deal with you know 90 percent Christians in what I do, uh, but the the comfortability, the arrogance, the the spiritual pride that we have it forced, you know, we become blind to how sinful and broken and selfish and, and, and that nature inside us that, that is warring against God. And it's so easy to say, look how good I am. If I'm looking at, uh, I'm going to say something really off color, but Democrats, you know, or the people that wear masks or the people that don't wear masks or whatever we do. But I, I, I watch all these Christians just looking at everybody and going, Oh, look, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. But you're not like Jesus either. And so early on in my Christian walk, I realized the minute I start to see Joanne's sin, your speck of sawdust, um, I need to get attentive. There's a plank in my eye at all times. And so if we all learn to live in that that self-awareness that that God is perfecting my holiness and transforming my sinful nature, and and compared to you, maybe I'll look good, but compared to Jesus, I, I have miles to go. So yeah, that the plank I'd saying is all about perspective that we're not called to judge the whole world, you know, and, and we're never there. I say it all the time when I'm 93, I hope I'm still sitting before the word of God, weeping and crying and being changed by the word and, and, and still open and humble enough to say, I'm not there yet. And it's very scary when we get in a place where we think we've arrived and, and we've got it all together. It, it's ugly. It hurts. It hurts the world. It hurts the people that don't know Jesus yet. Um, you know, I could go on a whole preaching sermon here because it's really <laughs> been sad to watch, you know, what's happened in politics and COVID and what the people of the church have fallen into and neglecting that there's people who don't know him 
that desperately need something different than what they're giving them. And it's not about you. Like, are you kidding? People are dying and losing their, their lives running from God because of our actions. And we have to take that seriously and really pray about God. Am I, am I in right standing with you in the way I'm treating my neighbor right now or not? Big deal that we continue to grow and we don't feel like because I haven't drank in 30 years, I'm some special person that's better than someone else. You know, uh, right. I, I want to stay totally desperate for his transformation and, and perfecting work, right? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And yes, you should start a podcast. Um, you know, there's there's people out there who need to hear this and it's and it's so true. Um, I mean, we, we have a, our faith community and then a, a big you know, it's really significant and important for us to be in our, in our broader community where we are geographically. Um, and so many that we talk to, uh, they love us and they even, um, they love God and they want to know more about Jesus, but they're, they're not, they don't want to walk through the doors because they've been, uh, so wounded or, you know, the church has just, you know, set a selfish example. And so, uh, we spend a lot of our time saying, I'm sorry, that that's what we do a lot of. And I, I sometimes it's frustrating because I feel like, man, I would like to get beyond I'm sorry yeah. um, so that we could start really getting into the heart and helping people heal their relationship with God. And, yeah. um, and, it, and it's slow. And so, so some days it just feels like I, I say some days, I don't know if it's three steps forward and two steps back or two steps forward and three steps back, you know? Uh, I, I would prefer the former to the latter. Uh, so anyway, if you can do it, you know, I would, uh, I will listen. I'll be your first subscriber, Tim. <laughs> it's all about time, right? There's a million good things to do. Right. And, you know, you just got to be selective. You do. There's a balance and I'm still trying to figure out how to find it of what, how, when, when to speak truth, how to speak truth to those difficult things. And when do you say, okay, I'm going to pass on this and I'm going to hand it over to somebody else. I'm going to let them deal with that because yeah. this is really my, this is my lane that God has right. called me to take care of. Right. Uh, and so some of those are really easy for me. Like I, like, I just know I'm like, yeah, that's not my thing. Uh, that's not mm -hmm. my lane. I don't have to be, I don't have to deal with it. But right. then every once in a while, I'm like, like, <laughs> I'm like trying to jump on that. And I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't my thing. I should need to just stay away from that because there's too much trigger. Can we talk about that just for a minute? Yeah, I know, yeah, I know for sure. I know we're like 40 minutes in, but oh, we're good. Uh, there's like when I get on here and I talk with people and what they're doing in the kingdom, like every cell in my body comes alive. <laughs> like, like I love it. And I, I love hearing right. your story. I like curating all of these things. I want to, I want to build up my brothers and sisters who are doing just, you know, you guys have inroads to the kingdom in ways that other people just aren't getting in there. Uh, and so that's, anyway, that's my thing. But then, then there are other things where I feel like maybe it's more of a trigger. Like I see myself going down that road and I'm like, is it, is it a trigger or is that God saying there's something here that I'm, I'm tapping you on the shoulder to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just like to hear your perspective of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like be like, well, Pastor Tim said, but you know, right, right, right. I'd like to hear your opinion. 
Uh, that's a complicated question, you know, because I found myself burning out in ministry because uh, my heart swells for people, you know, so everything is people. And then people are like, oh, there's somebody that loves people. Bring them over here and have them work on this team and do this. And I wanted to do everything for everybody. And then I lost myself and got burnt out and got exhausted and frustrated and I wasn't my best self. So, yeah, I've, I'm still refining that answer in my own life, I think, you know, um, what is it that God really, really, really wants me to do? Uh, I sat down in a coaching business, you know, all of my coaches say, you have to have your niche. Like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I don't want to pick a niche because I help everybody with everything. If they walk through my door, I'm going to sit down and we're going to find solutions. It's not the best way to build my, my greatest impact, you know, because I'm speaking to so many things at once and the message gets confusing. So I'm still defining that a little bit. I know my wife and us together are passionate about families and, and the impact we've had on our kids. And we've watched in the church as pastors, you know, the, the good and the bad and the ugly of, of how we raise our kids and who they become. And so uh, we feel that's a legacy building, long-term impact type thing that, that God's called us to do. Um, I also will never, ever, ever walk away from brokenness. Um, you know, I would love to because they tend not to have the resources to hire me like my professional, you know, Fortune 500 clients can. Uh, so, you know, I, I would love to say, hey, I'm God's calling me away from this to go do that. There's, there's several reasons I have to stay where I'm at. One is because um, somebody did it for me or I wouldn't be here. So I can never turn my back on that. Um, number two, if I don't stay close to an addict who thought he could have one beer, um, and, and catastrophe hit, I could be that addict that thought he could have one beer and ruin my life, you know? So there's, there's a lot there. And, you know, the mirror image of people in my life, um, it's super important that I speak to somebody who has the same mindsets that I've struggled with. And, you know, you've been there, you're preaching truth to your brother, or your sister. And while you're saying it, you're going, are you hearing yourself, dummy? You know, yesterday you didn't know this truth or you you wouldn't listen to this because it was about you. So there's there's a healing in my heart that happens continually because I get to speak truth in my heart for any, I've never had someone in front of me that I didn't completely care about, you know, and those words leaving my mouth, the truth, the promises of God poured into others is uh, vital for my longevity and for me to survive and continue to be healthy and continue to, to heal, you know, cause I'm still in a healing journey and, and occasionally you said trigger. So I thought something different, but occasionally, um, you know, what I do does trigger me, you know, I'll, I'll go home every once in a while and it's like, Oh, get it off me. Like, uh, I heard three stories that are real close to my personal story or created some, <clears throat> some doubt or insecurity about my marriage. Cause I, you know, I had four unfaithful marriages in two days and, you know, so those triggers exist as well, you know, and I, I try to pray and, and have covering over that and be careful how involved I get in those stories and separating their life from my life and asking God to continue to show me that. And I do tell my story a lot. And occasionally that's a triggering event as well. You know, I went on a TV show last um, Saturday. I was on Channel 20 Detroit with um, uh, it was a psychologist, uh, Mind Matters with Dr. Michelle, friend of mine's a producer. Uh, but I, I started to tell my story. She didn't know my story. She asked some questions. We had a half hour. I just got started and I felt like I left my mom out there a little bit like a bad guy. Like I didn't get to tell the beautiful ending that my mom's my best friend and that she's healed and we're well and we, you know, we're open to these conversations. And, you know, I left her feeling 
kind of yucky, you know, like, oh, did I hurt my mom, you know, and um, so there's those triggers too, I guess, of things that are that are personal and close that you have to be careful, they don't trigger us in negative ways of, you know, especially if you have trauma or backgrounds that like mine, and some people like me, everybody wants to do what Pastor Jim does. So all my clients like, I want to do like you one day, I want to help people, I want to help people, I want to help people but they can't make it through two minutes of someone's story without a complete mental breakdown of the, the empathetic response. So it isn't necessarily their calling, you know, and I try to encourage them. Well, maybe not, you know, because you got to be able to do this in a certain way. Um, and in that case, of course, we're trying to find out what is it then that God wants to do with that heart and that passion. Right. I, yeah. Everybody wants to, everybody <laughs> wants to be a coach. Everybody wants to be a pastor. Right, right. <laughs> and you and I are like, let me tell you some stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let me tell you what they didn't tell me when I jumped into it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it looks it looks so glamorous from afar. You uh, you made a comment about the families, and one of the things I think I run into with my families is that it's sometimes it's overwhelming, like. I got to do family devotions. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got, you know, and, and, and then of course all the other expectations of the, the world around them. Right. Mm -hmm. So is there something like maybe a recommendation of a way that families can start small that they can, and I hate to use the word invest, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just pour mm -hmm. into their family unit. That's not, I, I got to completely rewrite my entire life. Right. Right. uh restructure it in order to make it work but this is something i can actually do realistically that will begin helping them inch forward in you know what i mean in healing yeah. and healing and and having a strong family yeah that's a great question because i i naively came to the church coming from an unchurched background thinking oh look at all these wonderful families they're all perfect and you know as a youth pastor you heard the stories that they weren't they weren't as perfect as you thought, you know? So I, at first it just struck terror in my heart. Like, oh my gosh, I understand why mine was so broken, but I thought the church had all the answers and, you know, some of these families are broken. So Gina and I, you know, became very desperate. We waited eight years to have children because we were afraid to hurt a child. We were afraid we couldn't do it or we'd get it wrong. And, um, and we both were full-time all-in type people in the world. So our jobs were really important. So our family time was, there was a lot. We've been through a lot of seasons as parents. Um, and I deal with this a lot. I, I say this too, in my office, I either have people that show up here that came from really bad alcoholic, drug addict, family backgrounds, or they come from a really religious background. And there's equal amount of hurt in both of those kind of families. And, and I hate to say that because, you know, I'm the latter um, type family. But it did make me aware that everything that we need to be really intentional. We need to think a little deeper. We need to work on it. Um, we were blessed as pastors. Part of the reason I left a lucrative career was to be able to invest in my family differently and to spend more time with them. But you're right. It's it's overwhelming. Everybody, I can't do a devotion every morning. No, we had we made a life that we could do that. We understand everyone can't do that. So usually we sit down. Um, one of the best things that ever happened to us is we wrote a family creed with our kids when they were about... 12-ish. And we just sat down on a vacation and said, who do we want to become? Like, what's important in a relationship in a family? What's important with the relationship with others? And what's important with the relationship with God? And in their little voices and, and ways of thinking, you know, we started to discuss it. 
Um, I, of course, threw in there some of the things I had seen of the, the lack of trust and good communication in families and different things that can get in the way. And so we, we wrote a family creed and it was really kind of practical. It was 10 things and we put it over our fireplace and we read it together and we valued it. And we said, this is who we are. We, we formed an identity of how we do life. And that wasn't that hard. <clears throat> it actually became woven through everything we did and the kids would you know like I'm just being honest about how I'm feeling and how I'm doing like I'm supposed to you know and, and they would kind of say that's who we are and I'm doing it and so there's that sounds complicated too I know I had a guy tell me he tried to write a family creed and he just sat there and stared at the paper but you know I think you just start small and you look for the pockets of opportunity one of the things the, the scripture in Deuteronomy about you know when you lie out lie down stand up when you go for a walk so we started to look at all the ebbs and flows of our day okay we're in the car every single day at picking them up from school but we would waste that time I'm doing church work and calling people and they're in the back seat and we said no we're putting the phones away and we're going to create an intentional moment with our kids um, we have dinner together so we just started to find all the spots that existed and just said, we're going to do better. We're going to improve. You know, I mean, in companies, we do continual improvement. We say, jokingly, you go to a business or a church and there's a mission statement on the wall and there's a culture and a value system that we create. But in our families, it's just like, well, just pick it up by watching mom and dad. We're not as intentional about it. So, you know, we were very intentional and, you know, we've done multiple mission statements with the church and other businesses and, and nonprofits. So, we kind of wrote our own family mission statement and we began there and just began to cultivate it and grow it and involve the kids. You know, I think it's important that we empower kids to speak. We listen, we, we value them. We, we don't disrespect them. Christian homes can be a nightmare of a kid trying to be perfect in an imperfect world and, and not understanding like, why am I like this? You know, I had someone tell me today, a young lady, am I going to hell? I'm bisexual, you know? She's a child. She's never had a sexual experience or anything like that, but she's having feelings and trying to understand it. And, you know, those are the things that go on in a home if we don't create safety and we don't have really good conversations. Um, so, you know, we try to do that. We do the family mission statement. We do a, a lot of things to try to try to get there. Um, we do family meetings. So we're constantly having some intentional conversation. Um, we do a rite of passage ceremony with our kids when they turn 13. Uh, we called them forth to adulthood. You know, they just went through puberty and they're awkward and they're like, I'm just a little kid. Why are you calling me a man, daddy? And it's because God's called you to a man. God is changing you to a man and we're going to get out of the way and embrace and celebrate and raise you up. And, you know, I find because uh, I see a lot of 20 somethings and late teens and they're fighting with their parents. They, they never did that. They never really raised them up. They're just like, watch me and you'll grow up one day and they're not ready. They're not ready for college. They're not ready for life. We're mad at them because they're immature or irresponsible. I guess I'm getting a little off track, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of little, I guess you start with the small things and you really look for time. We put our phones in a basket when we walk through the front door, we have a room that no phones are allowed in. When we're in that room, we are going to be fully present. We're going to be fully aware, fully engaged with whatever relationships are in that room with us. And uh, you know, we've just cultivated love and, and openness and honesty. We were, I'll tell a quick story. Um, <clears throat> my daughter came in, she's 20, she's graduating nursing school. My oldest is 21, he's getting married in July. My youngest is 18 and a senior year of high school. But my daughter came in at like midnight with my oldest son and his fiance, knocked on the door and came through the door. And we kind of woke up and she goes, can I talk to you? And we're like, sure. And she goes, well, I need to tell you something. I wasn't completely honest with you about something. And she, she cried and she felt 
upset and she goes, I didn't know how to tell you something when it came up and, and, and kind of told us what it was. And we're like, okay, you know, well, why did you feel the need to lie? Ah, I was embarrassed. And, you know, so I did this. I'm like, okay, well, thanks for telling us. Are, are you okay? You know, did you think through what could have happened? And she goes, yeah, I realized by lying, this could happen, this could happen. Anyway, we had this nice little conversation and we prayed, but the, the, the guest in the room that night was my son's fiance. And she was quite amazed. You know, she grew up in a beautiful Christian home, but she's like, that would never happen in our family like that, you know, and she just made mention of that. So, you know, I, it's nice now, I guess, on the backside of raising our kids, you know, there were times where they're like, why are we like this? Um, they're now echoing back. I'm proud to be at this family. I'm happy I'm in this family. I'm starting to see other families who didn't do it as well or didn't take the time you did. And we have something special and unique and different. And so, yeah, that's why we're passionate about it. I mean, I, I love to share whatever we've learned and every family's different. I mean, I have a family this morning. It was, there's three exes and there's stepkids on stepkids and half, half siblings. And it's complicated, very, very complicated. So obviously the way they ebb and flow and design their family plan is going to be a lot different than ours. Yeah, we just got to do the work and, and pray, you know, pray about it. You know, uh, probably the coolest thing I ever did. I was a new pastor. I had just come from court. Uh, my first time in court as a pastor and I was bawling. I was crying so hard. I was like, why are all these people hurting? Like, God, you know, where was the, where was the church when those neighbors were falling apart? When that kid got on drugs? Like, why is the church not here making a difference? You know, and I, I was just carrying this burden from what I saw at court that day. And I came home. And I felt vulnerable about my kids, you know, and they were little and I went in and laid on each of their beds and I prayed for them. And I, you know, put my head on their pillow. I could smell their little head and their hair. And, and I just started saying, God, like reveal the uniqueness of that child and who they are and how do I parent? And I remember just, it was overwhelming. Like I saw that day already as little kids, all my three kids are different and they each need something different for me. And I thought, if I don't take time to pray like this, I'm going to fail them. I'm going to get it wrong. So I think, you know, that's the best thing we can do is pray for understanding, pray for wisdom, pray for discernment, and then, you know, find a way to make a safe place for relationships to happen. And so tell me, uh, we're going to, we're going to kind of wrap it up here, but yeah. all these years later, mm -hmm. why, why is the gospel still relevant to you? Wow. Because the main thing is that the only one who showed up and rescued me in my time of need was Jesus. And, you know, I'll never forget that I was alone. I mean, truly alone. I didn't have anybody left and had given up on life. And Jesus stepped into my life, even while I cursed him and cussed in his face and told him he was worthless. He showed up and he rescued me and he redeemed me and he healed me. And to this day, he's still doing his redemptive work in my life. Um, I now have the privilege. I beg God, give it to somebody else. I don't need any more miracles. Stop blessing me. Just, you know, I feel selfish. I feel guilty. I, I have survivor's guilt over suicide, obviously, because God did show up in, in a way that he doesn't always appear to in other people's lives. But I get the privilege today of watching the power of the gospel transform other lives. You know, um, all of these confused kids with their sexualities and all that, you know, feeling like I must not belong to God or God's angry at me because I feel these feelings or thoughts. And then to watch when they truly understand who Jesus is, not the rules and regulations and, and, the, and the church religion stuff, but, but when Jesus comes in and really gets a hold of somebody's heart. So 
Um, it's relevant for that reason. I mean, every single day of my life, I get to see, you know, miracles and experience life change. And, and, I, and I believe in eternity. There's, there's suffering, there's struggle here. I can't take away everybody's pain. You know, some of it is, is there and it's going to be there. They have a lot of, uh, you know, things that have come from the sin that hurt them. So knowing that the gospel promises us a future through all eternity that's beyond all this, that this is a passing through, this is temporary rented space. And, you know, we're going to do our thing here and we're going to do our best to, to seek the redemptive process to its fullest potential. But there's more past that, you know, and I, I still take a lot of joy in, in that hope that I have that one day, you know, we will be truly free and truly whole and celebrating way differently than we are right now. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This, this has cool. been great. It's been Appreciate great to it. see you again. Good to see, see you. you. Even if mm -hmm. it is on Zoom and hear you. And I'm so glad that God has just continued to bless uh, your ministry and use it to make inroads for the kingdom. Thank you. Yeah, you too. You too.